First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says this about the gifts. Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. You should use that gift to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. Some people have called the gifts of the Spirit gifts of grace or grace gifts. What that means are these are things that God has given to us by His divine grace. That means we don't deserve them. We cannot earn them. We cannot go to school and learn them. We cannot read a book and get them. They are given to us as an act of God's grace. Is there anybody in the room today grateful for a God who gives us gifts by grace and not by merit? Come on, so first of all, we have to recognize that these are, these are graces on our life. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, Paul says, he says, I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, it worked and it made me work harder than all of them. Yet not I, but by the grace of God that was with me. Can anybody else in the room today say, I am who I am? Not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it. I am who I am by the grace of God. Come on, somebody. You do not have to apologize for the grace that is on your life. It's a gift of God's grace. So there's a grace on your life. And there's a grace on your life to focus on something. I was talking to my daughter recently who just had her first child. And I said, something happens to you. Even no matter how prepared you think you are, you are not prepared for your first child. You're not, you're not prepared for two. You're not prepared for three. I was not prepared for four. And some of you are like, we've gone five and six deep in our household. And I, I look at you and I say, that's the grace that is on your life, not mine. And so I told my daughter, I said, you know, what happens to you is that God gives you the grace to, to do what you need to do in this season. It's difficult. It's hard. It's, it's late nights. It's, it's not a lot of sleep and you're frustrated and you're tired, but somehow you get to the other side of it and you're like, man, we just performed a miracle <laughs> because God graced us to walk through something in our lives that we didn't have the personal strength or ability to handle. I'm so thankful today. I know I might be ranting just a little bit about the grace of God, but I am so grateful today for the grace of God that not only enables me, but empowers me and strengthens me. I'm so thankful. So there's grace on your life and there's a grace in whatever season you're in to focus on something. I like to put it this way. Every believer can hear from God, but prophecy is not the focus of every believer. Remember, he said he gives these gifts to whom he will. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 14 as he's lifting, listing the gifts and he's talking about the difference between tongues and prophecy. He makes this incredible statement near the end of 1 Corinthians 14. He's like, do all prophesy? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all have words of wisdom? No. So it's not like these gifts of grace are going to be something that we all have a focus on. Can we all be used in the different gifts? Absolutely. But very often God will gift us in an area because that area is the focus of our life. So there will be an area of ministry and influence and focus. And I put it this way too. What if, if, if every believer can lay hands on the sick and the Bible commands us to do that, to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. If everybody 
has the ability to do that, then what's the purpose of the gift of healing? If, if everybody can perform miracles, then what's the purpose of the gift of miracles? Why do we need a gift of faith if Romans 12 and 3 says every man has been given a measure of faith? Why do we need people who have a particular focus and grace for evangelism or to shepherd or to prophesy? That's because God likes to use us in these unique functions because these functions have to do with our purpose in life. And I want to talk to you about really quickly just five gifts, what they mean and how they look in our lives. First of all, the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is the knowledge of God. This is, this is something that only God could know. You can't learn this. You cannot find this out through the grapevine. This doesn't come to you by gossip. Come on, somebody. This doesn't come to you by, you know, stalking somebody on social media. This word of, of knowledge, this knowledge comes to you from God. These are things that only God could know. It's like in the Old Testament, how they would say of the prophet, he is telling people what is happening in the inner chambers of our house. This is a word of knowledge. So the gift of the word of knowledge refers to the ability to know facts about a situation or even to know a spiritual principle that could not have been known by natural means. This allows someone to see a situation the way God sees it. Secondly, the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is the wisdom of God. Um, the Bible says in the New Testament, it teaches us that the wisdom that comes from, uh, from above is first of all peaceable. So anybody that tells you they're operating in wisdom, but they're divisive, that's not wisdom that comes from above. That's not, that's not godly wisdom. That's human wisdom. So the wisdom that comes from God is divine answers or solutions to very real human problems. Sometimes this comes through the act of being able to interpret someone's dream. Some, somebody comes to you and they say, man, I had this dream and God speaks to you and he gives you a word of wisdom about that dream and he says, this is what God's trying to say to you or this is how God is trying to solve your problem. Remember in the Old Testament, Joseph had this ability to interpret dreams. This was a gift of wisdom. This was a word of wisdom. The king would say, hey, I had this dream. What does this mean? And God would speak to Joseph and give him wisdom to interpret the dream. It's also the ability to to discover the meaning of a vision or the ability to practically apply biblical truth to a situation. So in other words, you're in a difficult situation and God brings a word to you that is a word of wisdom over your life and he says, make this move, make this deal, say this thing. These are words of wisdom. And the gift of faith, the gift of faith is very interesting to me because this gift functions. Remember, all of the gifts are for the common good. They're to build up the body. Right. So the gift of faith is not a gift that functions as a source of strength for you necessarily. The gift of faith is a gift that functions as a source of strength for others. It's not really more faith for yourself, but faith for others. In the New Testament, there's a story of men who carried their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And he didn't have any faith. He was just hanging out. He couldn't do anything. He didn't even ask them to take him to Jesus. They just pick him up. And by their own desire and faith, they're like, we're going to get you to Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, the room where Jesus is is completely full. There's no way to get to him through the doors or the windows. So they're so full of faith that they climb up on the roof of the house. They bust the roof open and drop their friend down to Jesus. And Jesus heals their friend that day. Sometimes God puts people around you to have 
faith for you when you cannot have faith for yourself. This is the gift of faith. This is why you need the body of Christ because sometimes you come to church and you don't have the faith you need to receive what you need in your life and you need somebody who can recognize that and stand with you and agree with you and believe God for you. Has anybody ever had somebody with a little bit more faith than you have be able to bring things into your life that you weren't able to bring by your own faith? You just didn't have the strength for it in the moment. This is the gift of faith. This is the gift of faith. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 8 when this man comes to him and he says, hey, my servant needs to be healed. And Jesus is like, I'm on my way. And he says, don't worry about that. He said, just send the word. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I have been all around Israel and I have not seen this much or this great of faith. This is a gift. The gift of healing or the gifts of healing. Healing can simply be defined as the restoration to health to those who have a physical, a mental, or a spiritual infirmity. In Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35, the Bible says about Peter, it says he traveled about the country and he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. I love that. I love that phrase because... No matter if you get a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, or God used you in a gift of healing or a gift of miracles, it was Jesus Christ that did it. It's not you. It is Jesus who does it. He, he, who does it. So he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately he got up and all those who lived in Lydia or Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now here's something you need to understand before we move any further about the gifts of the Spirit. You don't get to use these gifts on command. You get to use these gifts like the gift of tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, as the Spirit leads. Because sometimes God will use you in a gift and He will not use you in that same gift the same way ever again. He might not. Sometimes God will use you in a gift and you will try to use that gift on someone else and it won't work. Because you don't get to use it on command. They are his to distribute as he sees fit for his will and his purpose, not our will and our purpose. Okay. Now let me give you some examples of that in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 12. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, the Bible says there, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Well, look at that. Paul is used by God in such an extraordinary way that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick. Now notice this. It doesn't say that he touched them and told them to take them to the sick. Notice this. People that he had touched or had been in close contact with him, they took those garments home and their faith That whatever was on, come on, that whatever was on Paul could get into their situation, their faith in God and their faith in what God was doing through Paul made that happen. But nowhere does Paul, like, on command, just dropping handkerchiefs off at people's homes and mailing stuff to people. And, you know, I can't make it this month. Let me send you my T-shirt and your whole house will get whole. That's not what was happening. Because if that was what was happening, then why in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, did Paul say to his own disciple? Timothy, he said, stop drinking only water and use a little bit of wine because of your stomach and frequent illnesses. Well, Paul, 
Don't you have the gift of healing? Couldn't you have just prayed over a cloth and sent it to Timothy's house? Why in the world would your closest friend and disciple stay sick and random people who just brushed up against you get made well? Because it's not your gift to distribute. Come on. It is God's. So you can pray for someone to be made whole, but if they don't, it's not a failure of the gift. Come on. It's the choice of God. Ah, oh, man, this is good. I'm helping somebody right now. Let me give you a thought about the gift of miracles. The gift of miracles. A miracle is when God intervenes in the normal operation of nature. This is the ability to perform a sign and a wonder through the power of God that honors Jesus and testifies to the God of the Bible. I love that the Bible here, Paul mentions that the gift of healings and the gift of miracles are different because sometimes the gift of miracles is not always a positive thing, especially for unbelievers. <laughs> Watch this in Acts chapter 13, verses 9 through 12. The Bible says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at this sorcerer, this man named Elamus. He, he was a sorcerer, the Bible says, and he says to him in verse 10, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. So first of all, he's operating in a word of knowledge. He's able, or, and discerning of spirits. So he's able to discern the spirit that is on this guy. And he says this to him. He says, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. And you are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proncosul had saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. How about that? That's a miracle. That's a sign. That's a wonder. And God will use people to operate in that way. I'll never forget a friend of mine. They moved into a, a city, and they moved right beside, there was a... a a bar, like, like a strip club right beside of their church. And they prayed because they started to grow. They actually needed the bar <laughs> and the land on the strip club uh, that the strip club was on to, to expand their church. So they prayed that God would shut it down. And he did. And they got the property. And they expanded. That's a, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. So the gift of miracles. This is the ability to perform through the power of God a sign or a wonder to display and glorify Jesus and to testify of the God of the Bible. So those are five gifts that God uses people in the body of Christ to operate in. So how do I know? What is, Robbie, what is, what is my gift? What is mine? How do I know where God is leading me? Because I want to get my purpose right, so I want to get the gifts right. Let me give you five ways to recognize your gift. And I really think this is going to help you today. First of all, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want God to use you to do? Remember 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, earnestly desire the gifts. What, that word desire is the word want. What do you desire? 
for God to do in your life? How do you desire for God to use you? And let me say this to you. The pursuit of a gift from God is not selfish ambition. It is not your pride. Because first of all, the gifts are not for your own purpose. They are for the common good. This, remember what Paul says about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 when he opens up this, his, his speech, his, his letter on the gifts. He says, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So listen to me. It is not the enemy who put the desire for the gifts of God in your life. I'm just, I just don't know, is this God or the devil? What do you want? I want to see people healed. That's not the devil. I don't know if this is from God. What do you want? I want to see people one to Christ. I can tell you with 100% certainty that the devil did not put that desire in your heart. No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus, be cursed. And no one who is speaking by the Spirit of the Lord, without the Spirit of the Lord, can say, Jesus, be glorified. So that desire in your life to see Jesus magnified, to see God use you, to, to see God use you in an incredible way. That's not the pride of man. That is the gift of God. And Paul says, earnestly desire the gifts of God. Stop letting people tell you it's pride when you want to change the world for the glory of God. Mm. Who put that there? God did. The enemy will do everything he can to distract you from the gifts because he knows that the gifts build up the church and the last thing he wants you to do is build up the body of Christ. Hmm. Let me describe it to you like this. What do you want? What do you desire? My entire life, I've been I've had an anxiety or an intimidation to speak in front of people. It's it's an amazing thing that I'm doing this today. When I was in school, I had to give a speech, and I literally ran out of the class in tears. I was so afraid to do it. I was having a panic attack. I'm crying, run out of my class. I keep running out of the school. I keep running to my car, and I drive my car home. I was more afraid of what I had to do in that classroom than what would happen to me if I left school without telling anybody I'd left school. I was more afraid of what would happen to me in that classroom than I was of my parents finding out that I had left school without telling anybody I had left school. And even to this day, it is still a source of anxiety in my flesh. But I conquer my anxiety by facing my fear. So the more I do this, the less anxiety I have about doing this. Let let me explain it to you because Jeremiah said it this way. He said in Jeremiah 20 and 9, he said, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. He says, I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. What I started to discover was that my anxiety was a result of holding in the gift. The weariness that I felt was not using the gift. 
It was holding in the gift. So Jeremiah said, unless I get weary and faint and quit and give up, it's like a fire shut up in my bones that if I, even if I wanted to stop saying it, I can't stop saying it because it's the only way I conquer every fear in my life. And so right now, even though I'm preaching to you, I am conquering my own flesh right now because I am letting the fire that God put on the inside of me come out of me. And it's instead of being weary right now, I feel the strength of God right now. And maybe some of the weariness that you feel in your life is the refusal to express the fire that's shut up in your bones. And let me tell you, it's in your bones. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21, the Bible says that it came to pass, they were burying a man. And when they threw the man into the, into the grave of Elisha, the Bible says when that man was let down and he touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and he stood up on his feet. Elisha is dead. The skin has rotted off of his bones. And this man huh, is thrown into his grave and just touching his bones. The Bible says that that man is raised to life. There is so much more on the inside of you than you even could possibly understand about your life. There is fire on the inside of your bones. There is a gift on the inside of your bones. There is something that God wants to do in you that is so magnificent that what it does is it brings dead people back to life. It builds up the kingdom of God and it brings glory to Jesus. What do you desire? Stop putting your desires aside because your flesh tells you, you know, that's, that's going to embarrass you. That's, that's going to be tough for you. That's not your natural leaning. That's not the way you're naturally gifted. Well, these are supernatural gifts. They got nothing to do with your natural ability. Oh, man. Number two, what do you, what do you dream about? What do you dream about? Acts chapter 2. In the last days, God says... I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is Peter explaining to everyone gathered that day what was happening in the crowd. He says, this is what Joel talked about. He said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. All of these things, visions, prophecy, dreaming, all of these things have to do with the future. What are, you, what are you dreaming about? How do you see yourself in your dreams? How do you see others in your dreams? Our church has always had a real focus on evangelism. And that's because the two pastors in the history of this church, that's been really one of the gifts in their life. My dad really suffered because of this gift early on trying to build the church. In 1994, my dad was, I mean, from early 90s all the way through 94, my dad was going to India every single year for a month, sometimes 45 days. And when he would return, after a while, there was a group of people that started to get together while he was gone. And try to change the direction of the church. Some of these people were in leadership at that time. And they didn't like the direction of the church. They, they, they were angry because we were so outreach focused. We're not enough 
not enough focus on, you know, on, on, on the saints. And so, you, you, know, you know, Richard, they would say to him, you know, you, you preach the gospel too much. You're too, like, focused on lost people. You're not focused enough on found people. And, and, and so they didn't really like the direction the church was going in or the focus of the church. And the reason the church was focused like that is because when my father first started to come into relationship with Jesus, he started to have dreams. And in those dreams, my father was standing on the, with his back towards the edge of a cliff that had fire burning in it. And he saw millions of people running into the fire. And in these dreams, he is, he is screaming and yelling and grabbing people and holding people and pushing people back and trying to convince people that there's fire in front of them. This is God igniting a passion for the lost. And you might not like where somebody is gifted or how somebody is gifted, but you didn't get to choose it. And because you didn't form me in the womb of my mother, you don't get to have an opinion on how I use the gift God put in my life. So we have stayed true to that vision. And in 94, a lot of people left the church, and sometimes they call those things a church split. I call it God saving us from going in the wrong direction. That's what I call it. Because sometimes in your life, There are going to be people who are going to come and they're going to try to take control of the gift of God and focus it in another direction. But you have not been graced that way. You know, Robbie, why don't you just, why don't you teach more? Why don't you not scream so much? And why don't you just kind of calmly, this is, this is the fire that is shut up in my bones. I don't know any other way to do this. So if you're looking for a church with chill music and a quiet pastor, this ain't the place for you. This is the expression of the gift that God has put in my life. And this is the direction we have to go because this is the direction the fire is burning in me. Doesn't mean it's burning that way in everybody else. That's why I'm so grateful for all the churches in this community. Because we need the gift of everybody. Oh, man, I'm so thankful for the different expressions of the church of Jesus Christ. They came to, they came to Jesus, his own disciples one time, and they're like, these guys are over here, and they're casting out demons. They're not doing it like us. And Jesus says, if they're not against us, leave them alone. <laughs> they're on our side. They might not do it how you do it, but at least something's getting done for the glory of, of Jesus. Man, this is... This will free you up. This will help you recognize your gift. What do you dream about? What is your dream? Don't be ashamed of the godly desires you have. Denying the gift that God has put in you is not humility. It's weariness. Number three, who does your heart break for? Who do you have a deep compassion for? One of the things that frustrates me so much is, you know, throughout the history of the church, we've had different ministries and, and things that we've done. And, and throughout those times, every now and then somebody will get really upset because, you know, the, the, the church or, or certain people didn't get involved in the thing they were doing. And, and they love it so much and they think everybody in the church should love it the same way they love it. Come on, man. In the, in the New Testament, the, the apostles 
are, are frustrated because they are trying to preach the word of God, but they are getting all these complaints from orphans and widows that they're not being taken care of. And they said, listen, we, we don't have the time to wait tables. Man, people would have left that church in a heartbeat if the pastor said, I don't have time to go visit orphans. But that's what they said. Because it wasn't the area of their gifting. It wasn't that they didn't care. It just wasn't the area that they were gifted to serve. So they appointed some full of the Holy Ghost, able to go and meet those needs. Come on, man. This is good because the thing that you are passionate about is not the same thing that everybody else in the world is passionate about. You might, you might see a commercial about orphans in India and feel like, oh God, I got to go over there and you cry for weeks over it. And somebody else might see it and send an offering. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean they care less. It just means that maybe because you're still weeping over it three weeks later, maybe you're actually gifted to go and serve. And Oh man, this is, this is helpful. It means I can... I am who I am by the grace of God. It means that I don't have to have the same amount of passion you have for what God has put on your heart to do. Um, so who does your heart break for? Who do you have deep compassion for? Matthew 14 and 14, Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. The Bible says, who are you drawn to? Are you drawn to the sick, the poor, the overlooked, the abandoned? Because your gift has an audience. There's a guy, a friend of mine, let me know about his name, Steve Romine. He was battling multiple sclerosis and he was in a wheelchair. But they would wheel him into meetings and the sick would come and he would pray for them and they would be healed. So you have a guy who is in a wheelchair in need of a miracle himself, who's laying hands on people and they're getting up out of wheelchairs and experiencing miracles. I thought about that for a moment and I thought, why is that? And my friend said, well, he told us that the pain that he had gone through actually built in him a compassion for people that were sick. So he had this deep empathy and compassion for people that were sick. And even though he hadn't received a healing in his own body, he still let God use him in the middle of his pain. Maybe your pain doesn't just hurt you. Maybe your pain gifts you. Right? So who does your heart break for? The Bible teaches that in, in the way God comforted you, in that same manner, now turn and comfort those. So God doesn't allow you to go through all the stuff you go through just so that you can experience the hurt and the loss. No, he gives you in that hurt and loss and causes this compassion to come on your life for the people who are going through or have gone through what you have suffered. Number four. This is probably the most obvious. You have a tangible, the word tangible just means physical or touchable manifestation of that ability happening in your life. There is a physical reality to the power of God. Luke 8, 44 through 46, the woman touched the hem of the garment of Jesus and he said, virtue flowed out of him. There's a story I love to hear and I love to tell it. But there was a man named Smith Wigglesworth. Maybe you've heard of him. But he was a great preacher. And God used him in the gift of miracles and healing. 
And Smith Wigglesworth was doing this crusade, and during this crusade, he was staying at the home of this man and this woman, and the woman had actually allowed him to sleep in their bedroom. So her and her husband had moved to the guest room, and the husband wasn't happy about it. First of all, the husband isn't saved, and second of all, he just wanted to sleep in his own bed. Even Christian men want to sleep in their own bed. So he's not saved. He doesn't really care much about the things of God. The wife is a Christian. She's followed Smith Wigglesworth's ministry, and she allows him to stay in their room. He's sleeping in their bed, and she comes in every now and then throughout the week, and is just like, hey, could you talk to my husband? Could you, you know, maybe convince him in the reality of Jesus? Could you pray for him? And that whole week, he never really has a conversation with that man, never really prays for him. He's just staying in their home. And as he's leaving, as the crusade is over, and as he's getting ready to go home, he walks out the door. And as he's walking out the door and down the sidewalk to leave the house, the woman comes running out of the house, and she's like, hey, hey, hey. She's like, you never, you never said anything to my husband. You never prayed for my husband. You never shared the gospel with my husband. And the story told says that Smith Wigglesworth turned around and he looked at her and he said, don't change the sheets. So she goes inside. She goes to the room where he was in and she realized, oh, he's talking about the bed sheets. So that night, without changing the sheets, her and her husband moved back into their room. And for the next three nights, the husband is, he's awakened in the middle of the night with visions of hell and torment. And after a few days, the story goes that the man gave his life to Jesus because he slept on the same bed in those same sheets that Smith Wigglesworth slept in. There is a tangible, physical power to the presence of God. I'm I'm not the type of person who says, man, I have the gift of healing on my life. Why don't you just come up after service and touch the hem of my shirt and all will be made whole. But there was a lady years ago, she came to me and her baby had been born prematurely. He was in the ICU and she said that God spoke to her and told her to bring me a cloth, that if I anointed the cloth and prayed for the cloth and she took it back to the baby and put it in the NICU with the baby, that God would raise up her baby. Well, she did that. She brought it. I prayed for it. And she, she came back a couple weeks later and says, God has moved miraculously. Our son is going to be whole. He's coming out of the hospital. I just wanted to tell you, because there could be things that God is doing in your life that you don't even really realize that he's doing. Ways that he's gifted you and you don't even see it, but other people see it. So what is tangible in your life? What is Physical, what is a manifestation that you're seeing in your life? In Acts, remember we said that Paul's handkerchiefs, in Acts 5 and 15, Peter's shadow was healing people. In Acts chapter 8, another sorcerer named Simon saw how God was using the apostles and he wanted to buy what they had. One guy told me one time, he said, when God is using me in the gift of of healing, he said, it feels like fire in my hands. I get around someone and, and the, this fire hits my hands and I know that, and, and, and listen to me, some of y'all are like, that's so weird, that's so strange. You believe a virgin was impregnated by the spirit of God. You're already out there. Let's just go all the way into the Bible. You're already I just can't believe that crazy stuff. That's so weird. You believe a virgin was impregnated 
by a ghost. But you can't believe that a guy's hands feel fire in them. Just get out of here. That's ridiculous. Just stop it with that silliness. I just don't know if that can happen. Oh, my goodness. Number five, who is drawn to you? Who's, whose faith is stirred when they're around you? They, they come to you because they believe you can help them. My daughter, Aaliyah, she'll, she'll text me every now and then and be like, Dad, you'll never guess who just asked me for advice or who reached out to me. I haven't talked to them in years, and they just called me out of nowhere. I'm like, Aaliyah, that's the gift of wisdom. She's like, no, I'm not that smart. Dad, my grades. <laughs> I'm like, that's not what this is about. This is how God is choosing to gift you. This isn't about your GPA. God, and, and, and the reason we know this is because it's clear from the type of people that are coming around you what they want from you, what they see in you, what they're asking of you, what they're drawing out of you. They're calling and asking for answers. That means that they have been stirred around you to know that there's something different about you. They don't just call everybody. How many of you in the room, you like, you go through something, you know exactly who to call for the thing you're going through. I, I want to call somebody who I know can give me an answer. Acts 9, 36 through 42 says that Peter was in another town and there was a woman who had died and they sent for Peter and they're like, Peter, come help. Why did they send for Peter? Because they believed that Peter could do something about the situation. And he did. Who's drawn to you? The Bible says about Jesus that sinners drew near to hear him. The religious were repelled by Jesus. They couldn't stand Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. But the, the sinner... The one he was anointed for. He, he even said, I didn't come for healthy people. I came for sick people. He says about his own ministry that I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. I've been anointed to heal the sick. I've been anointed to open up blinded eyes. I've been anointed to declare freedom to captives. So no wonder sinners and captives and blind people and lame people found their way around Jesus because that's what he was anointed to do. Who finds their way to you? Do sick people find their way to you? Do hurting people find their way to you? David was hiding in a cave from Saul, and all of these men found David, and the Bible says about these men that they were in debt. They were full of fear. They were broken and hurt. Why did they come to David? Because David was strong, had victory. They, they sensed something that David had that they needed in their life, and so they were drawn to him. Who's drawn to you? Somebody said to me one time, they're like, man, I just, I just, uh, I just feel drawn to, like, go to the hospital and pray for people. But I just wanted to ask you, do you think that's the Lord? I was just like, wait, hold up. People say to me sometimes, like, you know, I feel like God's calling me to go on this mission trip and serve these people in this other country. What do you think? Do you think that's God? I'm like, you think the devil's going to tell you to go on a mission trip and serve people? 
I think sometimes when we're wondering, is this God or not, it's our flesh trying to delay what we know God is calling us to. Come on. We stay on your feet with me today. Every person in this room has been gifted by God. What you need is not just to understand where you are gifted, but you also need the courage to use it. And so when I pray today, I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to pray for people who feel like they don't have a relationship with God. And I want to pray for you as a follower of Jesus who feels like maybe you are, you have some insight into the places God has gifted you, but you haven't really courageously walked it out yet. And that's okay because we can pray and ask God for boldness like they did in the upper room. They were under intense attack from the adversary and they went to the upper room and they prayed and asked God for boldness. He filled them and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. So I'm praying that happens for many of you today. But if you're in this room, maybe head bowed if you can. If you're in this room today and you say, Robbie, I feel far from God. Maybe you're 